I'm Gary Ann. And I'm Allison. And this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And we are a psychology and history podcast. And sometimes we're both and sometimes we're culty and sometimes we switch and we're just glad you're along for the ride. Absolutely. Because it gets wild. We've seen a lot of increase in, in listenership in the month of August. Which has been so fun. More engagement on social media, people reaching out a little bit more. We're excited. We see you. We see you. We appreciate you. Also, everybody was asking about uh, last week we announced that your Thanksgiving pasta uh, pasta salad recipe was up on Patreon, and we had a couple people asking about that. Which brings us to, if you have been a Patreon and you got our pasta salad, or not pasta salad, but the pasta recipe from season one, hit us back up and we will send you another mm-hmm. recipe. Absolutely. Because if you're already, if you've already been a patron, if you're already with us, you know, you get all the perks. We love you. We appreciate you. We are drinking this amazing drink that I just whipped out of fucking nowhere. And you did it so beautifully. Thank you. Y'all, let me set the stage. I walk in. It's a Monday. I don't know which way is up. Allie pulls out the gin and coconut water and cuts the peel off a lemon (laughs) so delicately. It's glorious. A rim to the glass, you know, getting a little little rimming. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Title of your sex tape. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Listen, it's going to be something really good. Yeah, it's much be better than that. For sure, that. for sure. <laughs> but yeah, um, I know I've been so much more into gin since we started season two, mm-hmm. which I love. Is it because of our generalized anxiety? It is. And because of Jack Wowza. Right. Yes. Right. So he came to visit. So Jack Wowza, of course, is a longtime friend, longtime listener. Amazing human being. Amazing human being. A creative soul. Oh, my God. So he's our creative director. And one of the funniest people we know. Oh, my God. He's so funny. And I love him. He's like effortlessly funny, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah. I have to try really hard. Me too. He was my fifth grade boyfriend, and it didn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) Probably um, for the best. (laughs) But he came to visit, and it was so soothing. And, like, my, it was so healing for my heart. We had so much fun. I, we laughed for like three days straight. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm getting like tingly. It was just so like positive calories. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was so nice. It's good to have those we high calorie friends. We ended up going to Carowinds. <gasps> mm-hmm. You didn't tell me that. We ended up going to Carowinds on Sunday. So Friday we came over. We did the pasta recipe. <clears throat> we did the cocktail recipes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, a little night. On Saturday, we went to brunch, came home, took a nap, <laughs> which was amazing. Right. Um, Adulting at its finest. We went out. We went to a bar. We went to dinner. It was so nice. And then Sunday, we popped up like daisies and headed to Charlotte and did Carowinds. And the first ride that we went on was the one that was broken. Oh, shit. <laughs> the one with the crack in uh-huh. it? The one with the crack in it. And we, it had been reopened two days before we went. 
So they, uh, but we didn't realize <laughs> we didn't realize that that was the first one we went on. But um, it was so hot, but so fun, and oh, and I just, bet it was such a a great great weekend. And you live to tell the tale. I know, which I'm is so even better. Yeah, it was a good time. Oh, good. I actually sort of wish we had. Like I have a really great segue from your visit with Jack Wowza to my topic for today, Ooh. but I'm not quite ready to get there. Okay, um, because you know that'd be a real short intro, and we haven't seen each other in a minute. So I know we got to do a little bit more catching. We up. were really prepared. We had pre-recorded a couple episodes. Yep, but again, it always happens. Now we're in real time. <laughs> we're back. We're back. We're doing great. <laughs> we'll see you Thursday. <laughs> um. But you and I were talking a little bit earlier about, um, like, YouTube stuff that we've been watching lately. You oh, and I yeah. have both, like, gone down YouTube rabbit holes, which is yeah. new, I think, for both of us. I don't remember if I've talked about it on the pod yet. Right now, Cults to Consciousness is, is what I'm into. That's a great title yes. of a channel. Yes. Cults to Consciousness. The creator of the channel and she also has a a podcast um, but she is ex-Mormon and so um, she well she she talks to other people from the LDS church but she also talks to other people from high control groups and religions um, and she just the delivery is fantastic. Ooh that sounds good. Yeah I really respect her. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll have to send me some of those. Yes, I will. I have been down the Y Files rabbit hole. Oh. Um, and the the guy, I forget his name, but he does a couple of different things on his channel. My favorite of which is he presents you with like conspiracy theories mm. and all the evidence for them and like actually makes a really compelling case for why people believe this thing. And then he debunks himself, and then at the end tells you what's still kind of up in the air. Huh. So the first um, episode I watched was about the moon landing and, like, all the evidence as to why the moon landing did not happen. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, okay, but here's, like, the actual, here's the answers to all the questions that, you know, were raised. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And he's like, but ultimately, here's the things, Mm -hmm. and just really breaks it down in a fun way. So my brother got me hooked. That's a cool concept. Yeah. I really I've been I've been into, you know, expanding my brain. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think at this point in my life I I Oh, well, I I do have my reality TV side. But every other side of my life is like I, I do wanna like have a productive well moment. You, you've always enjoyed documentaries and learning and seeing different perspectives and things. Oh yeah. And I think that that's what you like about the reality shows is it's a different perspective, whether or not it's mm-hmm. like super grounded in things, but it does seem to have this like connection to, yeah. you know, growing and learning and understanding people. 100%. Which is why we have a podcast so that we can grow and learn and understand people. I hope that you can understand how excited that I am that my Halloween pumpkins came in. <gasps> Did I, I send them to you? You sent me um, Riff. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yep. Excuse and me. then I saw the microphone. Antissa Patient. Patient. <laughs> on your Instagram. So I am doing a Rocky Horror themed front yard for Halloween. And 
it looks incredible so far. So you're doing a lot of the, the um, signage and whatnot yourself, right? Correct. I'm doing a home of happiness sign. I'm doing a enter at your own risk sign. Right. right. I'm doing a wreath that will say you're very lucky to be invited up to Frank's laboratory. Ooh. Yep. And I've got my pumpkin. So I used uh, a fantastic. Oh, let me let me shout let me shout her out Ooh, on my, my on Etsy. I. I I got a wonderful artist to do my pumpkins um, because, let's be honest, who's got the time? Right, right. Her name is Beth Stevens, and she does custom um, pumpkin carving. So, Very cool. Of course, it's not a real pumpkin. Right, because right. Because it's August. <laughs> but you can save them and love them forever. Oh, yeah. It's a great investment. I'll have them each year. Mm-hmm. I have a closet that's going to be completely devoted to my holiday shit i love it and i'm just i'm just so uh, excited for halloween well and you have this beautiful new home to decorate for all the holidays and like really enjoy and fill with mm-hmm. people and i can't it's wait gonna be great it's gonna i was be so excited yesterday we decided to have a halloween party I know. I was wondering if you were going to say it on the podcast. I'm having a Halloween party. I'm not going to tell you my address or when it is. <laughs> <laughs> but right, right, yeah. I'm going to be there. Do you know what I'm going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to have a grilled cheese <gasps> uh, station. Say less. And a big bowl of tomato soup. I mm-hmm. am obsessed. Yeah. So you can. That's do, brilliant. Yeah. A uh, grilled cheese bar. A grilled cheese bar. Yes. Who would have thought of such a thing? I did. That's brilliant. I know. I literally thought, like, I thought of it with my own brain. I was laying in bed last night. I thought about it. Sprung up. Arose such a clatter. And <laughs> Ray was, like, startled. And I was like, we're going to do a, a grilled cheese bar. cheese bar. I need you to be my best friend forever. I got you. That is magical yeah. and spooky and festive yeah. and fall-y, yeah. fall-ish autumnal, if you will. So now all of you motherfuckers are going to steal my idea. Tag us when you do your grilled cheese bar for your Halloween parties, okay? Please, please, please. We would love it. And if you have any other amazing bar ideas, let us know. Yeah, because I'm really into entertaining right now. As you should be. Mm. I mean, the perfect space for it. I love it. And you've got these cute light fixtures and... All the things. All the things. All the things. I'm obsessed. Okay. So, speaking of obsession, I'm obsessed with our podcast. Same. That's my transition. Oh, okay. We're going into my topic. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right. Okay. So, you know how hard you laughed with Jack Wowza for three days. Mm -hmm. And thinking back to the time that I've laughed the hardest in our friendship. Mm Mm-hmm. We laughed so hard that, oh, that we I both cried. My arm. You threw up. I think I peed myself a little bit. I think we talked about that one time before. We I did threw up into you, my arm. You you brought out the poem and read mm-hmm. it to me over the podcast in season one. So that's a deep cut. Yeah. If you can find that episode, go find it. Um, and tell me which one it is because <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten. But um, like. Our stomachs were sore the next mm-hmm. day. We woke up, and I'm sure it was the same with Jack Wowza, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have that kind of laughter that just hits your soul. So, today, my story is about a different kind of laughter 
by way of mass hysteria mm-hmm. and the East African laughter epidemic. Oh. Which is less fun than it sounds, but yeah. also ironically kind of funny. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Are they laughing too much or not laughing at all? Uh, way too much. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Not I don't great. I anybody laughing too much. Well, it reminded me, so I was reading through this and it reminded me of like a, a Grey's Anatomy episode. Like, you know, there was that one character in Grey's Anatomy who dies from the hiccups. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, they've never covered the laughter epidemic. Like people who can't stop laughing. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this is. Have you ever heard of the country Tanganyika? I have not. I had not either. It is now modern-day Tanzania and, like, near the border of Uganda. Mm -hmm. But in 1962, Tanganyika was a sovereign state. It gained its independence from the United Kingdom on December 9, 1961, though it was still a commonwealth at that time, headed by Queen Elizabeth II. Then it became a republic within the Commonwealth of Nations a year later. Altogether, Tanganyika existed from 1961 to 1964. Oh. So not very long. Not very long. Not very long. After signing the Articles of Union on April 22nd, 1964, and joining the People's Republic of Zanzibar, they formed the Republic of Tanganyika and Zanzibar. And then on April 26th, the same year, so like four days later, they changed it to the United Republic of Tanzania. Mm. You know, they say Tanzania in South Africa. Really? Mm-hmm. Tanz- Tanzania? Mm-hmm. And that, it's, I, th- it's, I feel like I've heard that before, but mm-hmm. it Tanzania, Tanzania. I mean, I say Tanzania. I, I do too. That's just. Should we say Tanzania? No, it actually doesn't come up anywhere else in my story. So no, I. I mean, I don't. I don't. I've never been to Tanzania, Tanzania. So I don't know how they say it there. We also, should ask. it's English. So right, right. We've got a. It's kind of like calling actual, Germany Germany, right? Instead of Deutschland. Yeah, darling. Yeah. So, okay. So, 1961 was a big year for the folks in Tanganyika. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a little stressful, right? They get their independence in December, which is a huge step and has a tremendous impact on especially the young folks. I'm sure everyone, but the young folks are feeling it, especially those who are in school. Okay. So, because they are now their own, like, independent state... Um, or country, they are feeling this pressure to like maintain their cultural identity and their roots. But also, the Queen of England has is like, I think, prescribing more of a education system onto what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. So the kids are a little stressed, so stressed, in fact, that on January thirtieth, nineteen sixty-two, so like a month and some change later, there was an outbreak of mass hysteria also called Mass Psychogenic Illness, or MPI, Mm. which started at a boarding school for girls in the village of Kashasha on the western coast of Lake Victoria in Tanganyika. On that day, three girls started laughing uncontrollably. Oh. Like, could not stop laughing. Okay, this is going to creep me out. Yeah, it's a little little creepy. Um, Seems harmless, but it spread really quickly. 95 of the 159 pupils between the ages of 12 and 18 could not stop laughing. Like, just in their classes, out of their classes. 
don't laughing. Like it. I know. I don't like it. Symptoms also included crying, general restlessness, pain, fainting, respiratory problems, probably from all the laughing, rashes, irritability, and so much more. Can you imagine like being distressed and not being able to stop laughing? Oh my gosh. It's like when somebody tickles you and then you're like, and get the fuck <laughs> off me. I hate this. <laughs> do not ever do this but again. You can't. But you can't stop laughing. You can't stop laughing. I hate this. Yeah. So imagine that level of discomfort. Ugh. But wait till you hear how long this goes on. No. So most of the girls had these episodes. So an episode would last from a few hours up to 16 days. 16 days? With an average of about seven days for most of the pupils. And then they would have a period of normalcy and then they would have another episode. Oh my God. Did they sleep? Uh, Probably not well. Okay. It's hard to The answer is unclear at this time. But if you are laughing, I would assume sure. you're not sleeping well. Oh man. Which is probably contributing to the irritability and... Mm-hmm. All the other things. For sure. What's interesting is that teaching staff were unaffected. Now, this is the 1960s. This is East Africa. Um, mental health is viewed very differently still today in this part of the world, but especially back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So those who were considered to have like the madness were often cast out and, you know, considered... Creepy and... Yeah. Yeah. Like, sometimes they would assume that it was a demonic possession or something along those lines. Like, very rarely was it... Or, at this point, it was not considered a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So, they started trying to figure out what was causing this. They tested the food. They tested the people. Nothing came up physically other than they could not stop laughing and they had all these other weird symptoms. Is it kind of like the Salem Witch Trials? It's exactly like that. (gasps) Yep. So this all falls under mass hysteria and MPI, which is mass psychogenic illness. Uh, yep. So the first outbreak lasted 48 days. That's too long. Way too long for these ni- 95 pupils. At this time, um, due to the disrupt- disruption of learning and inability of students to concentrate, the school was forced to shut down. So on March 18th, which was about 48 days later, um, the students were sent home. So they called this the end of the first outbreak, but really they dispersed their student body. Right. They forcibly right. dissolved. From April, so students went home and the epidemic started to spread. No, this is so creepy. Super creepy. In April and May, 217 villagers... Um, in the Nishamba of the Muliba district uh, started having laughing attacks as well. So a few of the students who lived in the school had taken this back to their village. 217 villagers also started having these laughing attacks. Primarily, these were children and young adults, um, mm-hmm. though it did af- affect some adults at this point. Oh. The school tried to reopen on May 21st, but we know what happens when people come back after an outbreak, and a second wave started to affect another 57 pupils. So at this point, it's nearly everybody at the school. Wow. The boarding school reclosed at the end of June, but at that time, the epidemic had spread to the girls' middle school and affected another 48 girls. By this time, no one knew what the heck to do with the laughing, Um, the laughing students, and all the other affected people. 
Eventually, the school was sued for allowing children and parents to transmit the epidemic to surrounding areas. Oh, no. So you have people in these remote villages who are like, whatever you've done to these girls at the school, like you've made them sick. And now you're sending mm-hmm. them back to the villages. The villagers are developing these same symptoms. And it starts to spread. Wow. It took 18 months. <gasps> For the laughter to die down. That's too long. Way too long. All the areas affected were within a 100-mile radius, and in total, 14 schools were shut down, and over 1,000 people were affected. Wow. So these laughing fits, I mean, they called it done at 18 months, but these laughing episodes, some reports say lasted about two years. Like, just going these, like, 7 to 14 days of laughing and then stopping for a while and then getting back and having another episode or Mm -hmm. quote-unquote episode. I mean, listen, I can get the giggles just as much as the next person. Of course. Totally. But, like, wow. Yeah. 18 months. 18 months of... That could ruin your life. Oh, for sure. I mean, first of all, you haven't been you're missing, educated. Right, you're missing school. Months, so you're behind. You're behind. Your teachers don't understand. Also, the level of lack of understanding of mental health in this area is not great. Um, and therefore, you know, there might not be much sensitivity towards, especially the young girls who first started this outbreak. Oh, my God. Um, and it's hard to find out much information about them. Mm-hmm. Like East Africa in general, we know less about, at least we do from our American perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this is the first time I'd ever heard of the laughter epidemic. Yeah. Um, and it's the 1960s. So this all started, like this this wormhole started because of mass hysteria. So I was thinking more when I first started my notes about like aliens or the Salem witch trials, like a more common mass hysteria experience, but then saw this and just had to share it with you. But what the hell is mass hysteria? Like MPI, how did this thing affect so many people for so long? So in contemporary usage, mass hysteria is imprecisely used for basically anything that involves participation of a large group of people, something as simple as like fashion fads to crazes, panics, and abnormal belief groups. But that's not a super accurate definition. Specialists say that this phenomenon is a type of psychogenic illness, which basically means that it begins in the mind rather than the body, but that doesn't mean that the symptoms aren't real. In short, a person has psychological symptoms that affect the nervous system in the absence of a physical cause of illness and may appear in reaction to psychological distress. But because it can take so many different forms, it's difficult to provide a clear definition. Though, that doesn't stop our guy um, this episode, who is Professor Simon Wesley from King's College, London. He suggests that in characterizing the phenomenon... In the instance of mass hysteria, we should aim to guide ourselves by five principles. I love five principles. Sure. Number one, it is, quote, an outbreak of abnormal illness behavior that cannot be explained by physical disease. Check. Check. Right? Uh, we, I don't know of any diseases that cause laughing. No, except for, have you seen Smile? No. No. What smile? It's like a new, um, well, maybe 2021, 2020. It's a horror movie about Ooh. 
like basically there's like a demony kind of thing. It chooses you. You get this grin on your face. Oh, I do remember that. Mm. I haven't seen it, but I do remember it's advertising good. for it. Was it? Yeah, actually good. Good good storyline, not just Yeah. Okay. Generally I would give it an eight out of ten. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's impressive. Yeah. Number two, it affects people who would not normally behave in this fashion. Number three, it excludes symptoms deliberately provoked in groups that are gathered for a purpose, such as when someone intentionally gathers a group of people and convinces them that they are collectively experiencing a psychological or physiological symptom. So there's no coercion. Like, you don't want to try and convince people that they are going to start laughing and not be able to stop. Right. Uh, Four, it excludes collective manifestations used to obtain a state of satisfaction, um, such as fads, crazes, riots, etc. And five, the link between the individuals experience the obsessive behavior must not be coincidental, meaning, for instance, that they are all part of the same close-knit community. So... If you start laughing and Joe across town starts laughing at the same time, but it, it could be a coincidence. Okay. Versus mm-hmm. if you and Joe work at the same place and you're both under a lot of stress, suddenly it may not be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Got it. Many of the symptoms experienced during the laughter epidemic were likely stress-induced due to a ver- variety of external factors like perceived threats you know, they're going into this not like historically they've been um, uh, occupied by Zanzibar. Then like that whole area has such a traumatic history. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the East African slave trade that was going on in that area many, many years before this, but still perceived threats in that area. Cultural transitions. So we know that, you know, being taken over. And now operating as your own entity, but still under the Queen of England. Instances of uncertainty and social stressors. Due to the majority of the population affected by this epidemic being young and adolescent children, the outbreak has been attributed to the young not having the appropriate coping skills to manage such stresses and anxieties. That makes sense. Totally checks out. Totally. Also, it's not... I For me, I don't feel like it's super duper uncommon to laugh when you're stressed or like mm-hmm. when you're kind of hitting your breaking point or uncomfortable I or do uncomf- all the time yeah. on this podcast oh absolutely um so like you can kind of see that connection there and i assume that that's a human experience and not just you know uh american experience mm-hmm. um But coinciding with this, the adolescents have a need for acceptance and are eager to blend into a group, making them really vulnerable to the influence cognition. Linguist Christian Hempelman has theorized that the episode was stress-induced. In 1962, Tanganyika had just won its independence, and the students reported feeling stressed because higher expectations by teachers and parents. And the... um, Mass psychogenic illness, he says, usually occurs in people without a lot of power. Quote, MPI is a last resort for people of a low status. It's an easy way for them to express that something is wrong. I don't know about easy, but Mm -hmm. it definitely seems like a way to express that something is wrong. Or to avoid... Like, potentially dealing with the thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a distraction. Sure. I could see that, too. I, I don't think that makes it any less real, but I definitely think that could be... No, and that like could a, be conscious or subconscious. Yeah, exactly. Sociologist Robert Bartholomew and or psychiatrist Simon Wesley both put forward a culture-specific epidemic hysteria hypothesis pointing out that the occurrences in 1960s Africa were prevalent in missionary schools and Tanganyikan society was ruled by strict traditional elders. So the likelihood is that the hysteria was a manifestation of the cultural dissonance between the traditional conservatism at home and the new ideas challenging those beliefs at school. Which makes sense. I mean, like presenting kids with conflicting information or even conflicting values, conflicting morals, like I could see that really start to take a toll on a child. That will affect your sense of self. Oh, absolutely. Um, The laughter epidemic was one of the, the three sequential behavioral epidemics that occurred in the vicinity of Lake Victoria. So the laughter epidemic is the first one. We're going to talk about the other two in just a second. But these three major epidemics were classified as events of mass hysteria or mass mania. Um, So the first one uh, is the one that we've been talking about in January of 1962, and it was laughter mania. Then there were two more in Uganda, both happening at boys' schools, one and both happening about two years later. So one was in July. No, I'm sorry. One was in January of 1963 and the other in November. November of 1963, and these were running manias. Running? Running, like run, forest, run. Oh, no. So the symptoms were running, chest pain, agitation, talkativeness, violence, anorexia, exhaustion, and depression. Oh, God. So apparently, I was listening to a YouTube clip about this, and... Um, these young boys started experiencing this running mania and they would get really agitated and like just feel, I I assume it's kind of like restless leg syndrome, like they just had to get up and move. Mm -hmm. But they were like running, sprinting full speed ahead and not able to stop running until they literally just collapsed of exhaustion. And if you tried to restrain them, they would become um, even more aggravated or violent. Sure. Um, Don't touch me. Yeah. Which just sounds... Def, ah, I can't say worse. Like, both are bad. Yeah. Neither one's good. According to Benjamin H. Kagwa's observations in the East African Medical Journal, a notable characteristic is the prevalence of typical symptoms within specific ethnic groups where the occurrence and propagation of comparable symptoms are aligned with tribal boundaries. Hmm. So this guy says... Yes, there's all these stressors, but it is also aligned within the tribal boundaries um, and experience happening within those communities. These manias are attributed to the radically shifting culture that began to stray away from their traditional values and communities. Quote, we must not, however, think for one minute that this is particular or peculiar to Africans, there is much historical evidence to prove that emotional upheavals associated with hysteria occur whenever a people's cultural roots and beliefs become suddenly shattered. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I think the most correlation, or in my mind, I correlate hysteria with Europe and Mm -hmm. the Americas. Oh. Or North America. Which Specifically, I, U.S. and Canada. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and going back to the Salem witch trials, right? Yeah. Or just like Victorian women who were just experiencing hysteria weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Or not. <clears throat> or <Ending>. not. <laughs> Or not. Which reminded me of our very first episode and the history of the word hysteria, which all goes back to the womb being Mm -hmm. in the wrong place. It's an innately feminine experience and and child childlike experience. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. And yeah, because if, if a bunch of men were running around, nobody would be like, oh, they're hysterical. Right. It would be, oh, Something is going on. Something is wrong. Sure. Potentially. And I think, so, um, another person or another article I was reading who was kind of commenting on this said that in terms of how people could have handled the mass hysteria, the people in Tanganyika at the time actually did as well as you could, like, they handled it pretty well. Um, there was like a lot of sympathy for these kids. It wasn't, uh, like a suck it up and get over it. It was a coming together and let's figure this out. Good. So I hope that's accurate. Um, and not just, you know, a small portion of those kids, but the, it tr- they truly came together for everyone. Charles Dickens once said, quote, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter. Um, and I, I think that that may have been taken too literally here, but most of us have been in a situation where a person's laugh is so hysterical that you get this like chain reaction mm-hmm. of laughter, um, for oh the rest God. of the people in the group. My favorite thing is when the exercise where everybody's sitting on the stairs uh-huh. and then they're singing the, the, uh, the opera song. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then everybody does it, and everybody just, like, bursts out laughing. <laughs> I've oh seen that. Oh, my God, it's so funny. I know. I So, kind of, I guess, in a similar vein of, like, just group laughter, or but also this chain laughter, have you ever, like, my mom and my brother do this a lot, where nothing can be funny to four of the seven people sitting there. But if it's funny to one person and mm-hmm. one person starts laughing, like immediately the whole room starts laughing. Mm-hmm. My mom and my brother will get in. Like they're the worst people to go to funerals with oh, because no. they will say one thing and we will start the giggles. And before you know it, like everyone else around you is laughing. Too. I used to I used to get in these. My sister and I would burst out laughing in church. My mom would be so mad. I think think it's just one of those things where you feel uncomfortable. It's so formal. Yeah. When you're not used to being formal at home and you just feel out of water. Right. Right. And then the person that you know so well or, you know, someone whose brain you just kind of understand starts laughing and you know Mm -hmm. exactly what they're laughing at. So you start laughing, too. Exactly. Or even like looking at little babies and babies are start. Like, start laughing, and you can't help but laugh along with the baby, even though you have no idea what's so funny. No. It's so cute. Um, so, at first, the term laughter epidemic may sound like this nice, fun, happy, and joyful event, but it really wasn't a joke. Um, in fact, it quickly intensified and became a serious med- medical condition. So even if laughter is considered somewhat a natural form of medicine, as it has been used as a therapeutic tool for years, the negative aspects of laughter in this case made it a really extreme condition. Um, 
which is why the laughter epidemic that happened in Tanzania in 1962, where over a thousand people laughed hysterically for over a year, is not a laughing matter. Mm, God, that is wild. Right? A whole laughing epidemic? And we got not, COVID. That is not what I thought you were going to say. What did you think I was going to say? Well, I didn't, I didn't know what you were going to talk about today. Oh, oh, oh. I thought you meant I didn't end the way that you were expecting. Oh, I was no, like, no, no. Was there a better ending? No. Because... Did you bow? <laughs> no, God. It's all creepy to me. I don't like it. I don't like... Every, I don't like a big group of people uh, doing, like, things that scare me. Yeah. I And laughing, laughing seems so innocent and, like, mm-hmm. so naive. And it almost sounds, like, sort of enjoyable. Like, you walk into a community or a school and everyone's laughing. But when they can't stop, mm-mm. Yeah. It's a no. It's That's just a no, a no for me. It's a no for me. That's a hard pass for me. Yeah. So, it was uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, but it's just one example of mass hysteria and we talk so much again about England and the United States and Canada and like mass hysteria in like white societies mm-hmm. to hear about this happening in East Africa mm-hmm. I thought was really really fascinating very interesting and there are people alive today who probably experienced this Ooh, yeah like 1961 like my dad's still alive. He's only in his 70s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, our parents were, were, yeah, late 40s. Your dad was born in the late 40s, right? No, my dad was born uh, 1950. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mom was 1960. Got it. Well, that's easy to remember. Yep. Your dad's only two years older than my dad? I guess. Was when was 52. your dad born? Oh, then yeah. My huh. dad's two years older than your dad. Okay. Great. Now that we've established <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, that is that is so interesting. I wonder what like the the diary, you know, oh my gosh. the diaries of the teachers and the people who were experiencing it. Ooh. I would love to read those. Oh my gosh, me too. Can you imagine like you know, and this actually ties into my topic a little bit, but uh-huh. like knowing something is happen happening and knowing that it's coming for you. Oh, <gasps> this dun, is so crazy. This is cra- and the sun is setting in the closet. Yep, I can't see you anymore. Mm. All right, it's getting creepier and creepier. Let's take a quick break. We're going to continue the creepiness after the break because when we come back, we're talking about the worst year in history. Oh. We should save this for a Halloween episode. Go back and listen to this episode on Halloween, y'all. There we go. And we're back. All right. So the worst year ever. The worst year in history. In history was not 2020. It was not 2020. I'll tell you all about it. I think I might cover like mental health in 2020 at some point. So we got to get far enough away from it, especially if COVID's coming back. Right, right. Also, Karen and I were discussing before this episode, before recording, that we both think that we probably both definitely maybe had COVID. It's a possibility. Because we've both been hacking. For like a few weeks since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not great. Yeah. 
I gave it to you. You're welcome. I gave it to a kid. She's Sorry welcome. About that. <laughs> uh, My bad. Good news. Hopefully, this means that we are good to go and will not get it again. That's right. For a while. Knock on wood. Knock on all the things. Where's the wood? I think that's, yeah, that's plywood. I'll count it. Okay. Imagine living in a time where the sun gradually grew darker. Like at night? All the time. Oh. Clouds of dust enveloped the earth and winter lasting two years. Next came the drought, plague, and death. Cities would be wiped out and entire populations would be wiped off the planet. This sounds like a dystopian novel, doesn't it? Uh, Yeah. This is actually what it was like to live on Earth during the worst year in history, 536 A.D. 536 A.D. A.D. That recent. Mm-hmm. Two years of, so, two years of winter, but we're condensing it into the worst year ever. Correct. Well, okay. we're going to go. Because we're going to touch on all the things. All right, right, right. The, the stuff that happens in 535 lasts mm-hmm. for about 10 years. Okay. So there's prolonged effects. But 536 is the worst year ever. 536 is the worst year ever. Have you seen Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix? No, but you've already talked about that on the pod. I've already talked about it on the pod, (laughs) but this ties in. There we go. Go listen. Link up there. Go watch. So 536 is arguably the most important year in the last 2,000 years. In 1994... At a conference in the United Kingdom, a man named Mike Bailey gave a lecture about all of the tree rings in the world. We know what a tree ring is. Right, right. Uh, I'll go into it in a second. But what Mike Bailey noticed when he was studying tree rings throughout country after country was that during a specific time period, the tree rings went haywire sometime in the middle of the 6th century. Ooh. What he did was he compiled tree ring evidence globally for the past 7,050 years. This took him 14 years to do. Holy shit. I know. That's dedication. That's hyperfixation at a level that I 100%. do not understand. And we're so grateful that he did. So grateful. Shout so, out to you. So what do we know about tree rings? Tree rings show evidence of what the environment was like during a a period of time Mm -hmm. and depending on how healthy and prosperous the weather conditions are the more a tree will grow during the year a wide ring is a good weather year sure a narrow uh ring is a bad weather year this is such a unique and important time calculator that we can use to establish and map weather weather patterns of the entire world since about 3500 bc that is a wild concept. Isn't that cool? Also, there are still trees. Like, how do we find trees that are old enough? I, I'm no botanist to have enough rings to go back that far, other than like the redwood forest, which of course has like the ginormous trees. Yeah. So there's. Uh, that's a great question. There's live trees. There's. Um, uh, 
Oh my god, I'm blanking. Um, petrified wood. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. Listen, I'm not a tree guy. Listen, you're nailing it. I'm. I'm a. Ten- I'm not Mike Bailey. That already answered so many of my questions. Perfect. So, but across the board and across the world, Mike Bailey sees consistencies in the rings in the middle of the sixth century. Something must have happened that essentially stopped the growth of the trees completely. But what was it? After doing some additional digging and looking at these tree rings under a microscope, they noticed that bacteria and microorganisms that were usually present in winter were also present during the summer months. This would indicate that frost and extreme cold was present for long periods of time. It is wild that we can tell all of that from a tree ring. I know. It's like so time science of year. Is so cool. <laughs> science is so weird. So let's talk about the implications of what extreme cold would do. So with extreme cold during the winter, there's often already a lack of sunlight. There would have been, you know, uh, effects on on crops with the cold, uh, livestock with the cold. Yeah, uh, that alone could have created a food shortage and would have the potential to wipe out families and communities with that one factor just oh, in absolutely. and of itself. You can't grow crops to feed your mm-hmm. livestock. The livestock are going to die off because of all the things. Correct. So we have the tree ring evidence and the time period of 536 is where we're honing in on. The next step is to look at texts from this time period to try to get a first-hand account of what was going on. During this time period, one of the largest empires was the Roman Empire. One eyewitness, who is a bishop, states, quote, there was a sign from the sun, the light of which had never been seen or reported before. The sky became darkness, which lasted for 18 months. Each day it shined for about four hours and still it was only a feeble shadow, end quote. An uh, Italian scholar during the same year states, quote, we have had a spring without mildness and a summer without heat. The month which should have been maturing the crops has been chilled by northern winds. Rain is denied and the reaper fears no frost, end quote. So, People are freaking out. (laughs) Rightfully so. You only get a shadow of a sun for like four hours a day. Well, and can you imagine what's going through their minds? They're like, what have we done? Who have we angered? Right? Right. Um, Not only that, but there's such a, a, you know, it just, it it affects so, so many things. And historians don't really comment very much on weather. Right. So... You know, they'll they'll mention a you know a comet or uh, you a know drought maybe something like yeah. So it it has to be really uh, influential for them to really be notating them. But I've never heard of this. Mm-hmm. Like for historians to just completely or for us to not have heard anything about this is fascinating. Fascinating. In Asia, there was dozens of accounts that discussed the the darkening of the sun during this time or its immediate consequences. In 1540, the Japanese king at the time wrote, quote, food is the basis of the empire. 
yellow gold and 10,000 springs of cash cannot cure hunger. End quote. That reminds me of Yanmi in the North Korea episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, you can be... You can have all the money in the world, but if you're starving to death... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. Another scholar wrote, quote, Yellow dust rained down like gold. It could be scooped up by handfuls. White yellow dust. We're going to get to it. I'm so intrigued. So this was the most interesting quote for me because it tells us that there was a lot of dust in the air, like Mm -hmm. you were just saying, which would make sense because the sun itself it's not like it's going anywhere. It's not like it's changing its patterns all of a sudden. It's that there's something in the atmosphere that's blocking the sunlight. Right. Does that make sense? The sun is still going round and round. and there. Are, uh, but again, there are things on Earth that are preventing uh, the people from seeing the sun. So what could create that amount of dust, right? It would be thousands of cubic feet of dust that would make it dark for two years. Well, thinking about the comet that killed the dinosaurs or the yeah. the theory sure. of the comet that hit the earth and the dust cloud that started the next ice age and yeah. all of that, is that where we're heading? So scientists, Or do we know? We know. Oh. Scientists say, okay, it could either be an asteroid, right. a comet, mm-hmm. or a volcano. A volcano big enough to impact? But which one? All of them. <laughs> right? Just, is that the answer? It is not the answer. Oh, shit. So it, so asteroids are large meteors. And once they hit the Earth, they explode, causing a ton of dust and debris. Blah, blah, blah. We know that. Now, to cause an environmental impact that would last a decade, you would need impact of an asteroid that was four kilometers across or two and a half miles. Fuck. That's huge. That is a big ass asteroid a comet is made of ice and ash and this gives it that the tail effect that comet comets have when they're whizzing through the sky Uh um and it was determined that it would take a six kilometer or three and three quarters mile long comet to create enough dust to affect climate change for 10 years wow now if something this big was coming towards the sky it would have been absolutely insanity to see about 30 minutes before it would hit the ground it would be the brightest thing in the sky Mm -hmm. but the time that it would take for it to reach the top of the atmosphere to sea level would only take eight seconds (gasps) so that's super quick (laughs) that's super terrifying (laughs) and it would travel 20 times the speed of sound which means it would be absolutely silent how eerie. <laughs> I know. So, all of this is creepy. Um, so, the first sound you would hear would be minutes after it struck the earth as it dissolved. Wow. My so, brain cannot fathom that. I know. It's wild. So, naturally, this would have obviously been a huge deal. Um, but we don't see any writings at the time that reported something like this. So either, you know, granted, if they didn't see it and they didn't hear it, that, that could have happened on like the other side of the world. Sure, exactly. So it's not reported anywhere. But the other piece is that we don't have a huge crater, which we know 
Unless it's in the ocean. Because we don't know shit about the ocean. We don't know shit about shit. But it could have landed in the ocean. But what we know is that if a almost four mile long meteor hit the ocean, it would cause a tsunami. Which would have been miles high. And historians have not found any written accounts of a tsunami during that time. Not during that time, but there are stories of the Great Flood across pretty much every culture around the world, though they would all predate that. Right. We're looking for... It all starts with the tree rings, right? Right. We're trying to figure out what happened in 535. Huh. I'm sitting here trying to figure it out like you're not going to tell tell me the answers. (laughs) So the other explanation on the asteroid and comet front would be that if it broke apart before hitting the Earth and dispersed Mm -hmm. before it hit. So that would leave smaller um, craters and things like that. Sure. Um, Interestingly, there are some literary ties to support this theory. The 6th century was the time of character King Arthur, and it's reported that he died in either 539 or 542 after his city has been plummeted by fiery rain. Ooh. Now, this, the origins of the story is based on Celtic mythology, mm-hmm. so you do with that what you will. Right. But it is interesting. So now we're down to comet bombardment, breaking apart, okay. or volcanoes. Okay. Okay? But which one? Let's go to the polar ice caps. Let's. So just like trees, the polar ice caps create a new layer of ice and snow each year. So we can track weather patterns in these areas as well. Uh-huh. They can tell us about what was going on in the atmosphere during any period of time. So if there had been a comet that exploded in the atmosphere before entering Earth, there would be evidence of certain chemicals in the ice from the atmosphere. Fair. If it was a volcano, there would have been evidence of sulfuric acid. Okay? Yep. So the process of finding this out is super cool. Scientists are able to cut into the ice, remove a layer, determine that the layer is from 356, Uh huh. melt the ice, and test the water. That is fascinating. Isn't that cool? Wow. So when they did this, they noticed that the sulfuric acid contamination was high indicating that there had been a volcanic eruption. They were also able to confirm in the Antarctic ice, so on the other side of the world, literally the other side of the world, they were able to confirm that there was high sulfuric acid spike in the mid-6th century there as well. Volcanic ash caused the sky to darken, trees to stop growing, and the world to appear to be ending. Okay, but how big was this volcano? She big. Girl, she big. Currently on Earth today, there's 200 active volcanoes. Just by the way. That's a terrifying number. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So where would this volcano have to have been in 535 to affect the entire world? Right? Well, it would have had to have been close to the equator. We know that because those winds are the only ones that would have gotten the sulfuric acid debris in both the hemispheres to both of the poles. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Uh Uh-huh. I'm just going to keep saying, isn't that interesting? (laughs) So at the time, at 535, there were 90 volcanoes that sat alongside the equator. Okay. So which one was it? Scientists turned the largest 
grouping, or excuse me, scientists turned to the largest grouping of these volcanoes, which is in Southeast Asia. And so what they did next was to turn to the largest civilizations near those areas, which was China. Sure. During the time. I looked into their written records. Well, sure enough, in 535, they recorded hearing a loud bang. Mm. Coming from the southwest, which would point to the Indonesian area where all of those volcanoes are. The most famous volcano in the world is called Krakatoa. And it's located near Java in Indonesia. And this volcano is thought to be the culprit. Wow. So Krakatoa is on an island that is uninhabitable. Uh, it's primarily rainforest. It's basically built itself because uh-huh. that's how volcanoes work. The last time that this volcano erupted was in 1883. Okay. And it blew its top and it killed 30,000 people on the mainland. The mainland of Indonesia or the mainland of China? Indonesia. 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 Got that. Looking back in time, we can use maps to see the islands and the volcanoes of the and like of this area and how they've changed. In 535, the volcano blows itself up, leaving three small, narrow islands. The volcano continues to be active, of course. It's spewing rock and lava daily. Right. Making the island bigger and bigger with time. It blows itself up again in 1883, and we are left with what we know now, which is more broken up, smaller islands, and the cycle perpetuates. Interesting. So what would, have, what would it have been like to experience the eruption of Krakatoa in 535? It would have been the equivalent of 2,000 million Hiroshima-sized nuclear bombs. Run that number past me one more time. Is it too... Did I write that down wrong? No, it's just big. I mean, I don't know whether or not you wrote it down wrong, but it sounds really big. I swear it's right. Okay. So it's a lot of power. This would have created a 30-mile-high burst of smoke. What? Smoke, gas, and ash. 30 miles high. 30 miles high. The fallout of the explosion would be the equivalent to nuclear winter. So how did Krakatoa affect the world? Think about the pressure of this explosion. It reduced the volcanic rock to ash. And what we know about ash is that it's as light as a feather. Mm -hmm. So light, in fact, that if you were to take a handful of volcanic ash and sprinkle it around, the wind would pick it up and take it immediately. It's so light that any movement of the wind is going to pick up that, that pigment And move it around. So this is why the sky stayed dark so long. Because of this volcanic ash that couldn't settle. That's how microfibrous it was. Because the sky was darker, the sun didn't have visibility to absorb the water from the ocean. And so the atmosphere became drier and drier, resulting in drought and famine. So the thing that this ash needed to settle, or to help it settle, was probably rain. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But it starved itself of rain. Correct. And like just created this perpetual, perpetuating mm-hmm. cycle. Yeah. It needed to be heavy, heavier. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. In the Roman Empire, in 542, a plague was reported to spread 
amongst the people. It was said to have started in the hip and descend to the throat. For others, there was a flowing of the bowels. Ah. This is our familiar friend, the bubonic plague. Right, right. Because this year could only get worse. So this is later. This is seven years later. Oh, okay. But still, we're in a shitty decade. What could the plague have to do with Krakatoa and the climate difference from seven years prior? Great question. The plague is bacteria, which we know... Shout out to season one. <laughs> Shout out to my episode. We know it comes from fleas, which feast on rats, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what was not included in my previous episode is new information that I will be telling you right now. I have found in my research that outbreaks of plague often follow large swings and changes in climate. Huh. Temperature directly affects how the disease grows and changes the flea itself. The flea who drinks the blood of an infected specimen has a blockage that occurs in, um, in their body, preventing the nutrients of the blood and the food to be absorbed. This results in a hunger that can never really be fulfilled. So that's what makes them jump, 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 because they're like, I'm fucking hungry, and I'm eating all this food, but nothing is... So that's how it manifests in the flea itself. Everything about this episode is terrifying. I know. <laughs> this should be our Halloween special. <laughs> so this results in the hunger that can never be fulfilled. In the gut of the flea, the clot happens, that, that blockage happens below 25 degrees centigrade or 77 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. So dropping the temperature would have caused the spread to surge. Okay. So creating... The perfect storm for... Disease. Disease. Correct. So we've talked about Asia. We've talked about Europe. Let's go to North America. And let's talk about Mexico. Why not? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up this name. Uh, Toaluchan City, Mexico. Uh, that's where we're going. Okay. Um, in the early 6th century. Okay. During the early 6th century, there was 125,000 people that lived in this city. It was a huge city. The other cities in the surrounding areas would have only been about 10,000 or so. So it was like the largest civilization around. But midway through the 6th century, things started to go wrong. Dr. Rebecca Story, a bioarchaeologist from Houston University, studies the bones and skeletal remains from this population. Something that she began to notice is that 70% of the dead from the middle of the 6th century were children and babies. The bones showed infections that were not usually found in children and infants. Children and infants usually have higher immune systems during this age that would prevent these infections because of their mothers. Right. So this would indicate that the health of the mothers was seriously declining during the mid-6th century. And this is signs of a population's decline. It's easy to see how the demise of the civilization's fall is shortly following the climate change of 535 and 536. We can see that because the lake near the uh, city indicates a 30-year drought during this period. In fact, this was the driest period in the last 3,000 years. Drought has a direct impact on diet, which has a direct impact on health, 
which Mm -hmm. makes sense as to why all these children Mm -hmm. are dying. Um, Also, without water, you have sanitation issues, disease issues. Ultimately, the collapse of this civilization happened when the people rose up against their leader and set fire to the temple. And I thought that might be because they might have lost confidence in the priesthood because during, and I'm speculating here, but, you know, a lot of times uh, in religions of this time period, a lot of the priests were speaking directly. They were the mouthpieces of the gods, yeah. right? So if they're like, hey, I'm going to pray, be, you know, pray that all this stuff stops happening and it doesn't, then... I mean, that tracks for me. And also mm-hmm. their inability to take care of the people that they're supposed to be right. protecting. They're city officials, yeah. essentially, yeah. Right. I, you, you starve people of resources, eventually they're going to mm-hmm. overthrow. Yep, exactly. Ultimately, year 535 and the explosion of Krakatoa led to a difficult period for the entire world. Millions of people died and the years directly following 535, especially 536, being its first full year of darkness, would have been the scariest time in our history. This week's topic goes on to prove our point that everything is connected, and that is the worst year in history. Wow. Shit. Way to get all philosophical <laughs> on this at the end. Damn. I <laughs> so as far as intersections go... Everything is terrifying? Everything is dust. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, affecting large groups of people yeah. is probably the most obvious. Well, and I wish that we had more uh, firsthand accounts of both of these experiences. But just imagine the amount of stress that the people in 536 were under and what forms of mass hysteria they may have been experiencing. Like, oh, 100%. The the trauma not knowing, like, if you genuinely believe the world is coming to an end for 10 years, that's an insane amount of, yeah. of stress and yeah. um, uncertainty that I can't begin to fathom. What's fascinating to me is that it was dark for 18 months, two years. That finally clears. But the ramifications from what occurred during those two years took a decade to get over. And even then, you know, then there's the plague. How long did they feel it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder what the outcome for that community was as well. Just to, you know, how do you move on from, Mm -hmm. you know, a a situation like that? Yeah. I... So it it reminds me a little bit of the Y files that we talked about at the beginning of this episode with um, the channel on YouTube and really thinking about how Mother Nature resets Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much that we as humans can control. Um, And at the same time, there's only so much that we can control. And eventually natural disasters happen and can just so drastically change the scope and the course of history. Yeah. We are meaningless. (laughs) (laughs) And yet what is life without us creating meaning? Oh, amen. Let's stop there. (laughs) We'll take it. (laughs) 
Listen, guys, we love you. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not become a patron, go on to patreon.com and search for podcast without an audience. You can also visit us on our Instagram and just click Mm -hmm. that link. When you become a patron, you get a bunch of different options uh, to choose from and you get our different recipes that we have. Uh, You also get to pick uh, topics uh, depending on the tier. Lots of perks. We love to to hang out with our our patrons via Instagram. Um, And if you haven't left us a five-star review, what are you doing? Please do so. Silly gooses. We love reading them. Um, And we love interacting with you guys on Instagram. So please do message us. We look at it all the time. We check uh, whenever we post questions or surveys. So tune in because we'd love to connect with you more. That's exactly right. We will see you next week. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.